We've talked about the three barriers to coming into healing. We started with the failure to believe you're forgiven or the failure to receive forgiveness. Then the second one, failure to forgive others or failure to love each other. And the third one is the failure to come into healthy self-acceptance. The failure to come into the place of knowing that you are the beloved son or daughter of the Lord, of a Papa, of an Abba that delights in you. Not just with singing, but just because you are. Just because you exist. Just because he made you. He doesn't make mistakes. It's hard to talk in concrete words about coming into healthy self-acceptance because there's not a prayer for it. This is something that you live out. You know, when we were talking about forgiveness, how the repentance part is something that you live out. You walk out. In healthy self-acceptance, it's a journey. But you come to a place of being settled and content within yourself with the discontent that comes at you and around you. Does that make sense? It's a paradox, but it's a reality. Healthy self-acceptance doesn't mean that you become the person that you've always dreamed of becoming and all your ducks are in a row and everything's going right. You got your hair like you like it and your nose like you like it and your shape like you like it, your clothes like you like it, your work like you like it, your kids are like you like it, your mom and dad, no. No, no. Healthy self-acceptance means coming to a place of seeing yourself through the eyes of Jesus. To come into healthy self-acceptance, you don't practice the presence of self, your true self, of what that vision is, whatever that may be in your mind. You practice the presence of Jesus to come into who you truly are in Christ. When we look at him, we get a reflection of what he sees in us. And he calls us in and up into that true self that we are. Some of you may think, well, you know, my true self ain't what you think. Well, that's not true. If you belong to Jesus, you are a new creation. You are a new man. You are a new woman. You may not act like it or feel like it, but you are by heredity. I want to read a quote from Oswald Chambers that really captures that heredity we have in him. We have a heredity we had no say in. We are not holy nor likely to be. Jesus had the disposition of deity. And he says that we have to be pure in heart. If all he can do is tell me that I must be holy, be what I never can be, present me with an ideal that I cannot come anywhere near, his teaching only plants despair. But if he is a regenerator, one who first of all can put into me his own heredity, Then I see what he's driving at, that the disposition he puts in is like his own. This is why all Christianity, true Christian teaching, true Christian life, true Christian 
experience is incarnational. So often we miss that as we grow up in Christ and we grow up in the church. And it's not because it's necessarily or on purpose left out. It's because we're so westernized in the way that we have come to do church. We seem to forget about the interior part of who we are. But in the hierarchy of reality, your spirit man is first. It's not your outward appearance. It's that, that person that you are within. That's your true self. The true self that Jesus died to save. Now, is there a false self? Well, of course there is. That's that old man. That's that old nature, the sinful nature that you put to death. But sometimes what we see in the church is Christians in good faith putting to death their true self. Calling it putting their self to death for Christ. But there's a part of you that he calls into life. He says, come forth and live. Come forth and become who you are in Christ. And in healthy self-acceptance, we come to that place where we are accepting those things that are pulling at us because they come to be coming from the outside. They are no longer keeping us inside a cage on the inside. Remember what I said when, when we know that we've forgiven how things no longer uh, own us? You know, there's scripture for that. Um, let me take you there. It's Romans 6, and I'm just going to kind of skip around in chapter 6 a bit. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obey the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's your new creation. You're no longer a slave and ruled over by that false self. That's the part of you that died. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Offer the parts of your body in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Remember I talked about obedience being an invitation. It's an invitation into healthy self-acceptance, especially healthy self-acceptance. We are the ones that plug up the flow of life in us. So often the devil doesn't have to waste a demon on us because we are our own worst enemy. We just went through a whole thing on self-hatred, didn't we? Cleansing that out. Yeah, the enemy can be the guy behind it, but man, once that gets churning in you, why, why waste? Why bother? You're your own worst enemy. The new man is the true self, the God-ordered life. The old man is the false self, and this is where we put ourselves on the throne, and it's a self-ordered life. 
Our true self, our God-ordered life, is the real us. It is living supernaturally natural. It is becoming fully human. It is a life centered in Christ Jesus, rooted and grounded in divine love from the Father. God loves our humanness. Don't buy into the Gnostic lie that our bodies are evil and our spirits are good and we're going to get rid of this thing one day. You know, we're resurrected in a body. God loves our humanness so much he became a baby and lived among us. He wants to see life for you, not only in the spirit part of you, but your soul and your body and your mind and your will and your emotions and your personality and your character and your relationships. He wants to shine through what he's put in your spirit. That's coming into healthy self-acceptance where it begins to manifest in your life and becomes a part of who you are. The real you is not your false self. You are not your lowest denominator. The false self, our old man, is what Jesus knows must die so our true self, the real me, can be birthed and become fully alive. I want to read Colossians 3. And again, I'm not real good with giving verse, verse references. I'm sorry about that. Um, Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Maybe it makes you dig a little bit if you go back and check me out. This will kind of help you know what the false self is and what you put to death in our walk of sanctification. What the true self is that's to live. Beginning with verse 5 in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Wait a minute, Mary. You just said just a while ago. Ron just said up there a while ago. We have a place to take it, to get rid of it. That's what we said a while ago. Putting that to death. Putting it to death where? The cross. You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's the walk of healthy self-acceptance. Being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. I'd like to just read the whole thing, but I'll stop right there. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The me part that's alive, my true self. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. You see the paradox? What it, how does Paul put it? Oh, wretched man that I am, 
I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Where is my salvation? It's in Him. It's in Christ. We keep our eyes on Christ if we want to come into healthy self-acceptance. As Christians, we have died before we die. Putting self to death, denying self is for the old man, our fallen sinful nature, the false self. We don't put our true self, our new creations in Christ, to death. Divine love incarnates us to stand firm in faith, centered in Christ, and to stand in our true self. Now, another diseased way that we end up getting back in the false self is that we go over here and step out of our true self into this place of walking alongside ourself, as Leanne Payne puts it, which is a very good analogy. You're not really living as you. You're over here living alongside yourself and not being real. Introspectors do this a lot. What we need to do is recognize this diseased place of not living in our true center in Christ and our true self and just step back over. Oh, Lord, thanks. Thanks, Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm doing it again. And you step back into that true center. Uh, the picture the Lord gave me for this is so cute. You know, those little toys that kids have, those little plastic blow-up clown things, and they have a weight in the bottom, and you punch them, and they... But they never fall down. And when I was coming out of my perfectionism and my introspection through my healing journey, that was the picture the Lord gave me to show me that I was over here doing this. I wasn't falling, not quite, but I needed to take the authority over myself, my spirit man, take the reins of my life and step back into my true self. And then submit myself to the Lord. That's where freedom comes from. When your spirit man is in authority over your body and ruling over your mind and will and emotions and body and submitted to the Holy Spirit, you have freedom in Christ. No matter what storm comes on the outside, you might be over here and rock a little bit, but you'll never hit the ground and be out of the ball game. There'll be grace to step back into that place of who you are in Christ. Humble yourself like a child and say, I did it again. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I take back up that authority that I have in you to walk this life out. To live by faith, not by emotions, not by how I feel. To live by truth, to live by the word of God. Not by every wind that comes along to blow me around. Let it be the real me who prays. Let it be the real God who hears. So how do you learn to be your true self? First of all, you got to take time to become aware of yourself as a person. And in our modern Western carnal Christian ways, we don't have a clue what that means. We know so much about what is less in ourselves. 
but we don't have a clue of what is greater than ourselves. Because we're so obsessed with the idols in our heart of trying to possess what is less than ourselves, we don't give ourselves over to be possessed by Him. We're slaves. We've got the all put through our ear because we put our ear up there for Him to put it through. But it's slaves to freedom. It's slaves to righteousness. It's slaves that have the invitation of obedience to walk and live a life that, yeah, you got troubles and you got problems and you got junk in you, you got to deal with until you die. But there are victories and little miracles along the way. And redemption takes time. You know, have you ever wondered why God just didn't just do something besides the horrible cross? I mean, I don't, I have no idea about all that, but I do know this. Redemption takes time. It takes time. It took time for Christ. There was a progression of how that unfolding. The suffering was horrendous. The cross wasn't just, you know, this quick done, quick fix thing. It was agonizing. Beyond anything that we could ever even think or imagine. I'm sorry, my earrings. Let me take them off. They're hitting the thing. I don't know if you can hear it, but I sure can. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what you do, you take stock of yourself. You get quiet. Lord, who am I? Who am I on the inside? What do I feel? Do I even have an interior life? What are the good things about me? What are my weaknesses? What are my limitations? What are my faults? What are my sins? This is where the discipline of journaling can change your life. If you've never journaled, if you've never um, tried to, to, to go there, I would suggest if you want to come into healthy self-acceptance, to begin to keep a prayer journal. Not a journal of, well, I got up, I brushed my teeth, I took a shower, um, I ate such and so, and uh, I worked out. And No, a prayer journal. You may want to write in it once a day, a couple times a day, maybe once a week. You find how you need to strengthen your inner man with being able to verbalize by getting it up and out of yourself and on paper or in cyberspace or however you need to do it, begin to make a list. Get a piece of paper out. Draw a line in the middle and put on one side the stuff I like about me and on the other side the stuff I don't like about me. Most of us would fill up this side first. But you know what? As you do that and you present it to the Lord and you say, Lord, talk to me about these now. Let's go down this list. What about this? What about that? What about this strength? What about this? This weakness? What about that over there? And the Holy Spirit will begin to commune with you. And in his gentle, loving way, begin to put his finger on things that 
will bring conviction in some areas and true confession and freedom. And in other ways, you're going to discover joys that you buried for some reason. The joy of who knows what, some memory that, that got lost somewhere along the line. That's especially healing for those of you that have had horrendous upbringings where there was bleakness or there was harshness. God can touch us and bring us to that place. What are your fears? So the first part of coming into healthy self-acceptance is to see your real situation the best you can. And the best way I know how to do that is to come and meet together with the Lord with a piece of paper in your hand and a pen or your computer if you do that. Most people do nowadays. I don't. But if you do that, whatever, some way of getting it up and out and bringing it before the Lord. Remember when uh, Hezekiah bought the letter before the Lord and laid it out and said, look at this, Lord. Look, look at what the, the, the enemies of you have sent. And he laid it out before the Lord. I do that with those things in my heart. Periodically, I lay it out before the Lord. I write it out and I spread it out. And I say, Lord, come and meet with me and let's let's go over this. There's seasons in my life that I set aside to go into deeper uh, examination of my life. Not introspection, because I can be tempted to do that because of my past. That was one thing that I came out of and had to be healed. But a healthy self-examination with the Lord. A season. And then other times, you may go along and it there's not an intensity. There's just a walk. But to begin with, you need to make that time, set it aside, take stock of yourself and realize the spirit part of you is the most important. Have you been nourishing your spirit? Not just your mind with the scriptures, and that's beautiful. Meditating on the scriptures. Do, do you chew on them? Do you let them become a part of who you are? Do you chew on them long enough to begin to let them, okay, Lord, that's what you mean. That's what that means. You know, when you, you, when you told me to love, first of all, I, I don't have it in me to do it. But you are in me, and I can love with your love. And as your love increases in me, I can then love with my love because your love's in God and my love. And it grows. The second part of discovering and learning your true self is to make a humble offering of how, you're, how you see yourself to God. So once you take stock of yourself, then you offer that to the, to the Lord, whether it's good or bad or ugly or big or little. And what I want to concentrate on is the third part, which is living in that place of making that offering. If I had to sum up self-acceptance in one, I mean, healthy self-acceptance in one word, it would be self-forgetfulness. Where you're always seeing yourself at a place of being able to celebrate your smallness because you have been given the power of emptiness because you don't have yourself on your mind anymore. It's not all about me. It's not all about my stuff. I come to a place that I'm settled. I'm at a place of contentment. Not finished yet. It's a journey. It's a walk. 
but I can keep my eyes not ingrown, studying stuff and figuring out and all that, but get my eyes lifted up and out. You know, faith, the definition of faith, a simple one, is the holy gaze at a loving God. You ever looked in the eyes of a, a little baby and they don't blink and they just stare a hole through you? And you, your eyes get watery, don't they? It's like you could fall in there. There's something incredible about that. That's what faith is. A holy gaze, not just a look, but a gaze, an adoration, a continual looking at the loving Father, a continual being bought to the Father by Jesus, our precious Savior, trusting the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us. Living in union with God, we live from this place of offering ourselves to God over and over and over from this place of coming to him continually empty because things are flowing in and flowing out, flowing in and flowing out. Life is moving. This is your heart of hearts. This is your true center. This is your inner sanctuary. This is to be your abiding place with the Lord. This is where you look to him and this is where you listen to him. And you practice this abiding presence. He's high and lifted up. You don't worship the God down here, but you practice the presence of the one that lives in you to strengthen you. So how do you do this? Well, you stop for a few minutes. Then you stop for a few minutes before him. You sit down, you relax, you stop, you rest, you gather your forces together unto him. You give him your full presence. You welcome God into your life, into these moments. In the middle of lust. In the middle of jealousy. In the middle of anger. Welcome God into your life in these very moments. Avoid distractions. Limit yourself to living in the now. Our friend in England, Lynn Button, has a whole lecture called Living in the Now. We need to live in the now. And when we bring our interior life before the Lord, we need to sit down before him and celebrate the now. All that junk from the past isn't now. Fears of the future aren't now. You learn to be in his presence. Give all into the hands of God. Don't try to be super spiritual or put on airs of devoutness. Simply be in his presence. Let all thoughts and interior moments come up and out to Christ. Now that might take days or weeks. You know, when uh, Troy, if he's out on patrol as a sheriff, comes up behind you and the lights are going, your heart starts going. Is it me? Is it me? Did I, was I speeding? Did I do something wrong? But then Troy drives by and the lights go on. Does your heart stop? Oh, well, it wasn't me. I'm okay. No, your body. <laughs> you know, it wasn't me. It's the same way when we come to quiet ourselves before the Lord. We've been so inundated with the busyness and the rush of the world that we don't know how to quiet ourselves. 
And part of that quieting is letting these tensions, letting these things come up and out to Christ. So we have to learn to let the lights go by. Let the tensions go by. The worries, the the pull of the day, uh, whatever. The the pressing needs of the day, you learn to, you don't forget them, you just push them aside. Just push them aside. Relax, calm yourself, and be real. Set aside time each day to gather yourself to God. Doesn't matter if it's in the morning, doesn't matter if it's at midnight, I don't care when, but within a 24-hour period, you got to gather yourself together. If it's 10 minutes at the red light, gather yourself together. Find time in your day. If you want to, you will. Choose to own your life. Live from the inside out. And soon your life will be under the direction of inner freedom rather than outer necessity. You come to a place where you're not ruled by outward appearances. You're ruled by your spirit because your spirit man is submitted to the Lord. That's living in your true self. And that's that brings freedom. It brings authority to that place. Do you see the paradox we have in Christ? We celebrate our smallness, but we stand in the authority of our true self. And it's it, we're one in Christ. Incarnational reality. All of it's through Him because He indwells us. He's not just up there somewhere. He comes to us who are contrite. This doesn't happen automatically. Our Christian life must be exercised. We must put order into our activity and give ourselves new purpose. We must become fully human. This happens little by little as we obey what we hear in his presence. I want to read another quote by Oswald Chambers. There's a connection between the natural creation and the regenerated creation. When we are born from above, we're apt to despise the clay of which we're made, our humanness. The natural creation and the creation of grace work together. What we are apt to call the sordid things have to be turned into spiritual exercises by obedience. There must be a uniting and personal experience of the two creations. It cannot be done all at once, for there are whole tracts of life which have to be disciplined. This is why people come over and over again. That's why we come over and over again to the table of the Lord to eat his body and drink his blood nourished over and over and over again. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the handiwork of God and it is in these bodies that we are to find satisfaction. Every power of mind and heart should go into turning the natural into the spiritual by obeying the word of God regarding it. If we don't make the natural spiritual, it will become sordid. But when we become spiritual, the natural is shot through with the glory of God. We must take our plan for what we do on earth from the altitude of heaven. We must assume responsibility for our own life to reflect, to evaluate, to make decisions. If your life is imposed on you from without, you are not mature yet. 
Assume the direction your life is to take. Acknowledge and accept your limitations. Accept your gifts and use them. Recognize, accept, and offer your possibilities for development as well. I'm not doing this as the world speaks those words because you can hear those same words in the world. I'm saying this as a prayer. I think that part of the church has failed to teach us the disciplines of the Spirit. And they're so vital for our Christian growth and our healing and our character development and our ability to forget ourselves and have a compassion and a concern and love that mirrors God's in the world. Lift up your head and say yes to reality. Accept yourself also in relation to others. Don't be jealous or envious. Don't worry about what others think. Don't wear masks. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't seek to, leave, leave, don't seek to live somebody else's life. Be yourself. Find out who yourself is in God's presence. And don't just go through the motions of living, living beside yourself. It hurts to be real. It takes guts to step back into your true self. Because when you're in your true self, you know, that's, that's where it's uncomfortable. Because you're not pushing down that stuff anymore. You're not pretending like it's not there. You're not trying to busy yourself in doing something and proving that you're a good person. When you're in your true self, you become full of humility because you know you can celebrate your smallness because it's Him that engods you with the life that you need to live. Self-acceptance, living as your true self, is this, to continually look at life with complete honesty, to evaluate your real situation as it actually is, to decide to freely live your own life in union with Christ. You know, we can make a place at these conferences and the Holy Spirit will come, but he's not going to push. He's not rude. He'll hover. He'll hesitate and he'll wait for you to say yes and make the first move because he's here. This all takes practice and it's a lifelong journey. It takes concentration on our part. Concentration is not basically a mode of doing, but above all, it is a mode of being. It doesn't mean a frantic attempt to capture and control and squash out our humanness, our emotions. Rather, we offer our humanness into union with Christ. We gain new perspective on life, divine objectivity. We grow and change as we obey in his presence. As we learn to be our true self centered in Christ, our energies become incarnated with purpose and direction. We rule over our tasks and duties. They don't rule over us. We don't become slaves to what we have to do. So much Christian work, however good, has become many a person's master instead of their joy. It should be that service comes after relationship because it springs from union with Christ. 1 John 4.16 We know and rely on the love God has for us. That's my life slogan. Lord, 
I want to know and rely on the love that you have for me. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Father God names us. He knows us through and through. He loves us toward that true person that we are becoming. Only through redemption, our gift of grace in Christ Jesus, can we live as our true person. For it is only Father God's love that life has reality and meaning. Self-acceptance is that art of self-forgetfulness. We come into that place of living out of the Father's love. Remember the three benefits from the Father's love? Our true identity, we know who we are. We're sons and daughters. Self-worth, we have a true picture of ourselves. We have a sense of our own worth. We belong to the best family that there is. And three, we have security. We can rest and feel safe in the Father's love, even with the storm raging around us. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How do you forgive yourself? First of all, you agree with Christ Jesus. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Before you even knew of your own evil, Christ loved you and counted you worthy. Anything less than agreeing with God is pride. Ask forgiveness for the pride of self-hatred. Give up your opinion of yourself and send it to the cross. Practice the presence of Jesus. Listen to this close. Think less about yourself, not less of yourself. Think less about yourself, not less of yourself. Self-hatred is a humiliation inflicted. Self-acceptance is a true humility practiced. Self-acceptance is seeing yourself as Christ sees you, loved and accepted, welcomed into the beloved, you don't practice the presence of self, you practice the presence of Jesus. If you suffer with self-hatred, pursue healthy self-acceptance. Renew your mind and heart daily. I gave you, uh, I, I read the scripture a while ago, some of you wanted that, that uh, reference, Hebrews 10, 22, about the washing and the cleansing of a guilty conscience. Two other scriptures I'd like to give you concerning uh, renewing our mind and heart daily, becoming whiter than snow. Some of you have a hard, hard concept of what that is. Psalm 51.7 and Isaiah 1.18. I want to contrast what it is to be humiliated with what it is to humble yourself. Because those of you that suffer with self-hatred, you get them mixed up. You don't know the difference. To be humiliated is where something is taken from you. To humble yourself is something you give. To be humiliated is to be defaced. But to humble yourself is to bow your face. To be humiliated is to be shamed, to be exposed, to be degraded, to be stripped of human dignity, to be cut down. To humble myself 
means I choose to lower myself, to celebrate my smallness, to delight in my need in order to adore him. To humble myself means I make room for another with a capital A. To be humiliated is to be torn down. To humble myself means that I decrease, that he might increase in me. To be humiliated is forced from without. To humble myself is chosen from within. Let's stand together. I want to just pray. Like I said, there's no healing prayer for this. It's something you walk out. Yes, there's healing prayer for self-hatred, but it's a journey to walk out of that mindset. We have to have our minds renewed to live in that true self. So, Papa, for everyone in this room, I ask you, Lord, to give us the grace to begin the journey if we haven't and continue the journey if we have. I ask, Lord, by your Spirit that you would continue through these days to dislodge any self-hatred, That you would continue, Lord, to bring up a conviction from your spirit of any pride where we put ourselves down, where it's been false guilt and not true. I pray for, for the conviction of true guilt from you when we have been prideful or jealous or envious or we have an idol in our heart. Holy Spirit, come and bring us to that place where we look up to you and we say yes to you, where we're able to forget ourselves and concentrate on you. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been bought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Why don't you hold somebody's hand as you receive this? We are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That brings us to a close of the live portion of this uh, nightlight. And uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to share this with you is because sometimes, I think most of the time, I deal in uh, abstracts.
what seems like abstracts. Mary has a very clear ability to bring those abstracts down to practical nuts and bolts clarity. I personally think the reason that that's true is because, to be perfectly honest, and I don't say this with any sense of uh, false humility or any sense of um, uh, trying to compare myself to, to Mary, but I've, I've lived with the woman for almost 20 years and known her longer than that, and she lives the way she teaches. Where sometimes I tend to jump ahead and talk about concepts that I, 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 I'm reaching toward, well, and I don't say that that's necessarily wrong. Mary tends to take the things that she's lived through and, and share them and say, this is the way you walk this out. I think both kinds of teaching are valid. But to be honest, sometimes we really, really need the practical nuts and bolts more than we need the vision. We need both. We need the vision that we can stretch toward. I remember one of my teachers used to say, I write and teach five years ahead of where I'm able to live. And and I can see that. I think that's probably true of me, except sometimes I think I live, I teach 20 years ahead of where I'm able to live. But Mary walked these things out, and I, and I, I'm, she's not in the room, so I'm going to say some things that I maybe wouldn't say in a public meeting in front of her because I'm not trying to laud her. But I want you to understand something about Mary when she's teaching the things she's teaching. Some of you might think, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I have I have a job, or I'm a single mother, or I've got lots of pressures on me. I don't have the time to focus on these things. Uh, the way Mary seems to imply that you need to focus on them in, or, in order to make them practical and real. I understand that. But let me tell you something. Uh, before uh, before I came along in Mary's life, she was a single mother carrying the weight uh, that all of that implies. Uh, holding down a job. Having to answer to a boss. Having to maintain a budget. A very stringent and limited budget. Uh, taking tear, uh, care of two little ones who were not even two years apart in age. Uh, uh, she knew what it was like to have to have uh, a baby in arms and a toddler at her hand uh, in the grocery store with, with a, uh, barely enough to get by uh, on. She learned these things in that milieu. She didn't live through that milieu and then get delivered from the demands of the pressures that that brings and then marry me and uh, all of a sudden have a leisurely life where she could focus on, quote, spiritual things. She learned to deal with her perfectionism while she was... uh, having bouts of frustration over the behavior of toddlers who are the opposite of perfectionist. She learned to trust the Lord in the midst of want when there was not enough groceries in in the house. Uh, I've watched her live this way. So you may want to go back after you've heard what I'm saying here. And if you tended to listen to it uh, previous, the previous hour with kind of a jaded attitude about, well, you know, 
that's all well and good for you. You're a you're a pastor's wife, and you've got this spiritual atmosphere that you live in. Uh, please understand. Now, that's not where this teaching came from. Though she borrows a good deal from Oswald Chambers and from Michael Koist and from other writers that she has learned from, they helped put the language together that gave her the ability to communicate what she wants to say. But the essence of what she has to say is coming not out of their writings, but out of her own personal experience. And I, I can tell you, she still lives this way. She takes her emotions into the presence of the Lord and purposefully sets herself before him and interacts with him about her feelings, about her emotions, about her battles in her mind, about any struggles she may have uh, going on inside her own soul. You see, the danger that we all face, to some degree or other, is that we listen to teaching or we read a book, or we go to a conference, we hear a sermon, or whatever mode of communication you happen to respond to. The very nature of our Western way of, of responding to information is to just think about it, chew on it, maybe talk about it a little bit. But very rarely do we know how to, to do it, to take it into the arena of real choice-making real prayer, real interaction with the living God and and share with him our feelings, our memories, our emotions, our struggles, our falls, our failures, our sins. We may do it in a self-hating kind of way, which Mary already has addressed. Uh, and we may be so into that self-hatred mode of thinking that we don't even recognize that it's not real prayer. It's self-flagellation. It's self-rejection. Uh, uh, if we don't leave the presence of the Lord encouraged and strengthened and, and helped, it's pretty good indication that the reason we're not being strengthened and encouraged and helped is because we're interacting with ourselves. Uh, as Mary pointed out in in the beginning of her lecture. Let it be the real me who prays. Let it be the real God I pray to, quoting C.S. Lewis. How do you get the real you to be in communication with the real God? Uh, well, you know, there's not a formula answer for that, but it has to do with taking yourself seriously enough and taking God's promise seriously enough that you, you bear your soul to him and you open up and you, you cry out to him. Uh, some of you have prayed about the same struggles for years and hearing me say what I'm saying right now is frustrating to you. Hearing what Mary had to say is frustrating to you. So I've, I've done that. I've, I've tried that. I've done that. You know, one of, the, one of the ways you can tell that you haven't done that is that you refer to it as having done that. See, because the that we're talking about here is not a formula that you try to enact in order to get a response, like a, a chemistry experiment. But it is an interaction with a real God who is a real person and in whose presence your true personhood emerges as you deal with him and he deals with you 
in ongoing, day-by-day, moment-by-moment interaction and fellowship. And, and that includes the ups and downs, the good and the bad, the laughter, the tears, the times of exaltation and joy where you give thanksgiving and the times of heartbreak and disappointment where you're tempted to uh, throw away everything. But eventually you learn to give thanksgiving even in those times because of the faithfulness of God over the long haul. This is what maturity is. This is what spiritual growth is. So to whatever degree we're not able to do that, whatever degree we still think of God as of that that we tried and it didn't work, that is the evidence in itself that you have never encountered the real that and you've never done the real thing that you're referring to as a that or as a thing. Because he's not a that and he's not a thing. In him we live and move and have our very being. I've watched my wife live this way our entire marriage through many, many ups and downs and heartaches and and disappointments and struggles and trials and spiritual battles. I've watched her live it. So that what she shared the previous 45 minutes in this time together uh, is coming out of her own real experience of coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and God is her Father. And so having said that, maybe you'd like to take some time and, and go back through what you just listened to. And as you're doing that, uh, take account. Have I really brought whatever it is? Heartache, disappointment, unforgiveness, self-hatred, lack of self-confidence, whatever it is, have I really brought that into the presence of the Lord? Have I really laid it out before him? Have I really listened to see what he's going to say back to me about it? Have I taken it seriously enough to write it down in my prayer journal? Or do I even have a prayer journal? Or have I just copped out on that all these years and said, yeah, 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 I know all that stuff, but I'm just not the studious type. I don't like to write things down. Everybody has some way of making a record of things in their life that's important to them. Uh, If you've got some kind of block from school years that keeps you from wanting to do anything that even looks like schoolwork, a notebook and a pen, then I guess you never make a grocery list. Or you know, you just there's some things, folks. You just have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. But you find a way to put in words what you have not captured and put into words and then bring those words into the presence of the Lord and then listen to see what he will say and write down those words and by writing down your stuff and giving it to God and hearing God's voice and taking it to heart and taking it back in you begin to make an exchange giving up what has been deforming you and receiving what Uh, comes from him to enhance and increase you in your true identity. Well, that's that's all I wanted to share with you in this time. I just wanted you to know that uh, the one that you just heard speaking is not talking through her hat. She's talking from an experience of life that I see her walk out every day, many times in ways that I long to be able to do myself. And I'm learning. We're all learning. But 
until we can be with you again, God bless you and thank you for listening. And I hope you will take these things to heart and begin to practically walk them out in your daily life so that we don't just end up with a bunch of information on a tape or a CD or an MP3 that is going from our head into your head uh, but not producing any heart transformation. God, deliver us from that useless enterprise. Uh, Lord willing, and he is, uh, these things will become real and transforming for you as you interact with the Lord seriously about them. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Lord willing, we'll share with you again in a few weeks. Bye-bye.